welcome to the Waterways World podcast. Hello and welcome to the Waterways World podcast. I'm Bobby Cowling, the editor of the magazine. And with me for this episode is independent MP and former leader of the Labour Party, Jeremy Corbyn. Deputy Editor Sarah Henshaw and I first met Jeremy during the run-up to the 2019 general election, when we were invited to interview him on the Oatcake boat in Stoke-on-Trent. I must say it was a rather surreal experience because at that point he was very much headline news, and it was even more surprising to discover that he had a genuine passion for the waterways. On that occasion we only spoke for 10 minutes or so, But given Jeremy's clear enthusiasm for boating, waterway restoration and industrial history, we invited him onto our podcast to discuss these topics, and he kindly accepted. So, let's hear what he has to say. So, Jeremy, you were born in Wiltshire, you grew up in Shropshire, so you always had canals close by as a child, and your family, I believe, had a boat moored on the Shropshire Union too. Did the waterways make any real impact on you at that early age, or were they just sort of background noise? Well, they, they made an impact because there was uh, the uh, Shrewsbury Canal that ran next to um, uh, the school I was at as a child, and it still had water in it then, and whilst there were no through boats because the locks from Norbury down to Newport had been converted into weirs, but most of the canal was still watered, and um, it did make an impact on me. And indeed, um, when uh, there was uh, an attempt by the council, and I suppose it must be in British Waterways as well, to because they still owned it at that time, to um, tidy up the basin, the Newport Basin, uh, and they drained it in order to clear out rubbish and things from it. And um, uh, my dad took me there one Sunday to look at it because he was interested in uh, industrial architecture and so on mm-hmm. and I'm I don't know how old I was at the time quite young probably I don't know eight nine something like that maybe ten and um we walked out onto the onto the into the canal basin the first part was fine and after that there were some boards that the workmen had been using to get further out and I rather wrongly thought you could sort of walk on the mud and I went in very very <laughs> very deep it was quite dangerous actually because I went well deep into it and I was floundering to try and get out and my dad who was a strong person was able to he said stop panicking and I'll hold you and he he pulled me out of the mud I lost my boots in the mud though Gosh, that sounds terrifying. And that didn't put you off? <laughs> not at all. Not at all. It, it was, it, looking back on it, it was more worrying than it was at the time, if you know yeah. what I mean. Um, and so, yes, I was always interested in canals. And we um, used to sail um, small boats and things, you know, model boats on, on the canal up towards um, Norbury. And then later on, my dad bought this... Um, old fishing boat from North Wales that had been converted into a small canal boat. It wasn't a full canal boat. It was more like a small fishing boat with a cabin on it. And it was called Dinorwick, which is in North Wales. And we had that at High on Wharf for quite a while. And um, we used to 
he spent a lot of time fiddling about with this boat because most people who got boats spend a lot of time fiddling about with them. And it had a, an Austin 7 marine engine in it. And I also had some Austin 7 engines at home. So I was very, this is when I was about sort of 14, 15, that sort of age. And I got quite good at fiddling about with Austin 7 engines. And so we um, indeed reconditioned this Austin 7 Marine engine, put it back in the boat, and got the boat working. And um, then we went up and down the canal a bit on it. And then with uh, my brother and um, one, maybe two, one other friend, we took the boat right down to um, Evesham, then up the Avon from there. Um, and back, which was a very long, a very long way. We were gone for quite a long time, and um, we had sort of lots of problems and adventures with it. And um, on one occasion, we were hitchhiking from Upton on Seven to um, the nearest town, the nearest this bigger town, which would have been Malvern, I suppose. Mm. And uh, as we were hitchhiking back, this guy said, where are you going? We said, we're going there. And he said, oh, what sort of boat you've got? He knew a bit about boats. And it turned out he had an Austin 7 Marine engine on sale. So we bought that. <laughs> as you do. <laughs> Absolutely, as you do. And uh, So I enjoyed um, canals and canal history and the canal architecture and the idea that you either have contour canals with lots of locks or uh, with very few locks rather, or you straight line canals, which is what um, Belford favoured, um, which came later. And so then there was the uh, issue of the reopening of the canal, the Shrewsbury Canal. And this was encouraged by the then campaign to reopen the Stratford Canal, which was successful, indeed was happening at that time. And a lot of volunteers were working on it. And we had a big public meeting in uh, in Newport to advance the reopening canal. And the local MP, Jerry Fowler, came, and Lord St. Davids, who was part of the Inland Waterways Association, came. And, and maps were produced, uh, reproductions, indeed, I've still got one of them, reproduction maps of the 1880s from the canal. And we went through the whole issue of reopening of it. it unfortunately, it didn't happen. The funding wasn't available. I suspect the county council wasn't prepared to put much money into it. And um, sadly, it, it didn't happen at that time, although the Urban District Council did buy that part of the canal that went through their district, their area, and um, rewatered it. So there are, I suppose, a couple of three miles of it rewatered there. And since then, there have been efforts of reopening elsewhere. I mean, it could, it could well be done, because so far mm. as I'm aware, the route from Norbury, as far, at least as far as Telford, is um, there and could be reopened. And um, it would obviously be reconstruction of a lot of locks. There are, I think, 20 locks between Norbury and then when you get to the flat part, which runs uh, all the way to almost to Shrewsbury from there. So there are issues of road crossings, as ever, with all reopenings. I, yeah. I, I strongly support it. So, yes, in short, your my rather long answer to your nice question was that, um, yes, the canals have had a, a big part in my life. And I, I don't have a canal boat, 
but um, I do enjoy cycling along the Riverlee navigation up to Broxbourne, and um, I always try and look at canals wherever I go. And when I was in Lancaster, um, I had a lovely run actually along the Lancaster Canal, which is absolutely beautiful. It is um, a stretch, yeah. very high up, and you get fantastic views from it. And I hope that. Um, which is going to be complicated to do, they're able to reopen the whole of the canal, which, of course, means the M6 crossing area is is mm. complicated. What I find sad is that um, most, not all, but most um, railway routes are preserved in planning. They ought to all be preserved in planning mm. for the advent of reopening, uh, and so should canals be as well. And I do, but I do notice that HS2, which at one stage the HS2 Yorkshire extension was in danger of taking out the possibility of canal reopening, they then relented very quickly on that. So um, I think there are there is a changed approach and attitude, and the numbers of canal reopening campaigns around the country is incredible. So let's hope it goes further. Yeah, because you have first-hand insight into the benefits of canal restoration. Because was it your mother who lived by the Kenton Avon Canal? Indeed, she did. When my mum um, and dad retired from work in the Midlands, um, they both worked in the Midlands. My mum was a teacher. My dad was an engineer. He continued working, but they moved to um, a small village called Stanton St. Bernard, which is very near Devizes. And at that time, the uh, they went there in the mid-70s. There was then the beginnings of the reopening of the Kennet Navan. It's always remained watered, and indeed it was actually quite beautiful walking along it because it was completely still, um, and uh, it had fish in it and um, a lot of wildlife. Um, she had concerns about the reopening of it because she felt it would um, damage the wildlife, biodiversity, and so on. Um, um, she had a point, um, but also uh, she actually had concerns about reopening, but it, it happened. The big achievement was the restoration of the Carnhill Flight of Locks in Devizes, which is an amazing, amazing thing to see. And um, then the canal was reopened, and actually she welcomed it because it um, it actually improved the town of Devizes. It brought more visitors to Devizes, and the Carnhill Flight of Locks is something to go and see whether you're in a boat or not. And um, I last uh, year before last, I took my wife there, Laura, who's from Mexico, who didn't know much about um, canals in Britain, and she uh, sort of was slightly surprised when I said, let's go and see this canal. And uh, she said, why? And I said, well, you're going to really admire it when you see it. And so we then walked up and down the Ca the Carnhill flight. And uh, I think it's absolutely magnificent. And she was actually really impressed by it. And you think of all the work that went into the building of that. And so I do support them. And there's also the um, my late brother was very interested in um, industrial architecture as well and he was very supportive of the uh, beam engines at Crofton which uh, are used to rewater the canal because the Kennet Maven problem was its summit wasn't really um, didn't really have sufficient water supply and so it could run out of water in uh, in dry summers and that's why the beam engines were put there to pump more water into it and they still work yes indeed 
You might be interested to know, Jeremy, that Waterways World has a sister magazine called Narrowboat, which is dedicated entirely to the history and heritage of the inland waterways. And in response to a feature we ran on the Donington Wood Canal, which was a fairly obscure Shropshire waterway, we received a letter from a chap called David Adams. Oh, David Adams, yeah. (laughs) You remember him? He was a great cartographer, but tell me more. Well, I'll read you an extract from David's letter. My interest has always been in the local limestone mines, to which the Donington Wood Canal is an adjunct. This began with my underground survey of part of the Lillishore mine in October 1960, helped by several friends, and incidentally, a young boy called Jeremy and his father David Corbin. Do you remember that? Very, very well indeed, because David's um, family ran an agricultural supply business in Newport, um, Roy Adams and Company. They sort of sold tractors and agricultural machinery and so on. And um, he was interested in mining, as was my dad, in mining history and, and caving and so on. And so they um, used to meet at our house on Friday nights and talk endlessly and drink, in my dad's case, vast amounts of tea and everybody else's case, quite a lot of beer, I should imagine. And they discussed um, setting up a caving club, Shropshire Mining Club, which they did. And uh, they would go out every Sunday to different parts of South Shropshire, exploring old mines and things. And um, David was a very well-organized person. He had a Land Rover and we would go in his Land Rover or cars and so on. And we'd go into these mines and we had um, appropriate lights and so on. And um, in some cases, we'd go in with a canoe where the attic was flooded. And David um, was absolutely fascinated by the history of all this. And the um, club grew quite a bit. Then they bought a, an old house just outside Newport and made a beautiful, actually, old thatched place. They turned into a, um, a centre for the Shropshire Mining Club. And anybody visiting who was going caving or visiting old mines could stay there in a sort of um, dormitory arrangement. Um, And David then got involved, and I noticed from the um, Shropshire Union Canal website, became a very good cartographer of mapping the um, canal and doing detailed assessment of what needed or didn't need to be done in various parts of it. I absolutely remember him very, very well indeed. And a lovely, lovely, lovely guy. And he wrote a beautiful letter to me when my dad died. I've still oh, got it somewhere. That's sweet. Well, he, David's now the uh, president of uh, the Shropshire Caving and Mining Club, so um, he still obviously retains an interest. So that's that's great. Well, I hope um, he's reading. I hope he's reading this um, uh, or listening to this uh, interview we're doing because I, w- I would absolutely wish him all the very very best and thank him for giving me an interest in uh, industrial history and caving as well as canals. Well, thank I'll, you, I'll, thank you I'll David. Hope, yes, indeed. What was it that interested you about the canals and uh, industrial heritage? Well, um, I think they played an incredible part in the Industrial Revolution, and that part of Shropshire was, of course, uh, I mean, there are various places in Britain that claim to be the cradle of the Industrial Revolution. Cornwall has a good claim. Shropshire has a good claim. Various parts of South Yorkshire and Lancashire do. Um, But what was 
interesting was there was a, a tugboat canal very near our house. We lived at Pave Lane just outside Newport. And just up the road from there, there was the, you could still see it, it probably still can, the remains of a, a tugboat canal which took um, lime um, as part of, obviously, the beginnings of iron making and ultimately of steel making uh, into what is now um, Donington and Telford where the coal mines were. And uh, so the canal network, which we think of as the um, Victorian and pre-Victorian ones, actually goes back even further than that, right down back to Abraham Darby's time. And this incredible network of small canals, canal inclines, tugboat canals, and later narrowboat um, canals uh, in Shropshire is something that was partly recognised and preserved when Telford Newtown was set up, but could and should have gone a lot further. And indeed, um, I suspect that Telford now regrets it doesn't have more canals in it. But I, I think that will help to be an impetus to the reopening of the Shrewsbury Canal, which uh, uh, only the, in Donington do you have an extension into Telford itself. The rest of it goes across more open country over the uh, wonderful old um, River Turn Aqueduct, which was um, designed by Telford, of course, first iron aqueduct anywhere in the world, I believe. Yes, it was. Jeremy, I'm interested to know a bit more about the fishing boat that your family owned. Could you tell us a bit more about that? Yeah, it was um, a um, <clears throat> an overlapping board boat, so that gave it a lot of stability. Um and it was um, had a small cabin in it where you could have a bunk on each side and the unlucky third person could sleep on the floor between the two bunks. Um, <laughs> it had an engine which um, made a lot of noise and uh, was very generous in its distribution of oil everywhere else. <laughs> uh, and um, it had a pro obviously propeller-driven underneath, and the propeller would endlessly get um, weeds on it and all the rest of it, and so we'd have to try and de-weed the propeller. And if we got unlucky, somebody had to get out, get in the canal, get under the boat, and pull the weeds off the propeller. So progress was often very, very slow um, on that. In fact, you could probably get around faster on a canoe. <laughs> um, but it was... Um, it was a lot of fun to have it, and we also spent quite a lot of time painting it and repainting it and, uh, uh, and things like that. And um, it was great going up the Shropshire Union Canal from high on towards um, Cheswardine and up that way and through that wonderful cutting, the Nosal Cutting, yeah. and the old bridge that's there on the Nosal Cutting. I remember that very, very well indeed. But it was also, I, at other times, I went up there in canoes and things, and that was beautiful to do, actually. In some ways, a canoe on a canal is very nice because you don't make any noise, and therefore you do see all the wildlife um, around you, which you don't see quite so much of if you're on a boat, because obviously the boat is more disturbing and the birds tend to fly away. Do you still get much chance to get on the canals? You talked earlier about cycling along the Lee Navigation, but do you ever get a chance to cruise? Do you hire boats? or No, um, I haven't done for, for a while. I might do that again. Um, I, I tend to visit canals by walking along them or cycling along them. But I think canal towpaths can be very good for cycling. Um, 
I have cycled quite a lot of the Kennet Maiden Canal towpath, which is an interesting experience. It it varies in quality between the very good to the mm. truly awful. Um, I've never actually fallen off my bike into the canal, but it's only a matter of time. I'm sure it, it could happen. Yeah. Um, we have a canal running through our borough, um, the Grand Union, and of course we've got the wonderful Islington Tunnel which goes from just near King's Cross Basin through there. And th that is a canal that is very busy. And, indeed, I've been on a friend's boat on um, the canal, not through the tunnel. We went the, the other way through Regent's Park and up that way. And uh, I think canals are basically the thing of the future because people during the corona crisis have not travelled abroad for holidays and they've discovered for the first time in many cases just how wonderful the scenery and the history is that's there on our very doorsteps in in canals, on railways, in small towns, all, all over this country. And uh, I think that is a trend that's probably going to continue. And um, I welcome I welcome that. Well, canals also supply water, of course, and they um, can be part of a very useful conservation so closing a canal means you're actually often disturbing drainage systems that were developed as the canals were built in in the first place yeah that's very true and what do you think think about the possibility of um harnessing waterways for the carrying of freight i think it's a, a good idea and certainly the thames does carry quite a lot of freight now um from the window of my office in Parliament, I'm able to see the Thames. And you do see quite a lot of um, boats carrying aggregate. There used to be quite a lot of boats carrying um, London's waste, um, which uh, sadly in the past was dumped out in the North Sea. That doesn't happen anymore. And um, we've also seen the boats carrying uh, stuff from big construction projects that have been then used to um, infill land in Essex, which has become very, very good bird sanctuary, things like that. So, yes, I do see on the where we've got a space for a broad beam vessel. I think there is a real possibility. I think for the narrowboat canals, um, it's um, less likely because the uh, journey times are, are very long and quite slow. I think the main uh, issue of canals is actually f uh, leisure traffic, although when you're talking of big construction projects where there's a lot of spoil involved in moving, I mean, I'm talking sort of big railways, HS2, um, that kind of thing, then I think there is a place for canals to be used and it should always be factored into the discussions on the planning arrangements surrounding a big construction project. as a politician if you were worried by the growing number of people living on boats in many cases as a direct result of the housing crisis in Britain and I wondered if you saw any solution to this I'm not worried where people have a good boat and it's their lifestyle choice to live on a boat and um, that's absolutely fine mm. when the housing crisis 
forces people to live on boats, um, sometimes quite crowded, um, then I am worried about that. And um, I'm worried about the housing crisis in general. I represent a constituency with massive housing needs. We have a council that is very determined to build more council places and, and has achieved quite a lot in that respect. Um, but as a country, we've got to do far more on housing for people that um, uh, need it. And, and that means more council housing. It means more social housing. And again, the corona crisis has shown us that if as a country we want to rehouse all rough sleepers, we can do it. Um, my council has used some of its own resources and got resources from the government, has bought various buildings and housed the homeless in them. If we can do it during the crisis of corona, we can do it at all times. It's a question of a social attitude. Do we believe that housing is a right for all? I do. Then we should um, build accordingly. And I think the people that are living um, are forced to live in not very adequate situations on boats and on canals is not good. As I say, those that choose to, and it's a lifestyle choice, fine, absolutely. I mean, uh, I, I salute them for it and for the contribution they make to the protection of the waterways, and also they make it safer. There are many people living on the River Lee and on the Grand Union and other canals, and um, they actually make it safer for people walking and everything else. And, uh, I see many of them when I go um, up the Lee navigation towards Broxbourne, and um, it's, it's great to see, actually. Jeremy, I think so many of our listeners are going to be surprised by your, your knowledge of the canal network and your, your keen interest in boating. Are there any other canal boating politicians that you're aware of? Um, well, Joe Cox, the late, the late Joe Cox, of course, was one, and uh, family all lived on a canal boat. Um, there must be others, and uh, you're giving me an idea here. Maybe we should set up a group in Parliament to... Um, press the government to protect canal routes so there, there is the all party parliamentary group for the waterways yeah i'm saying we should work with the all party group on protecting um canal routes yeah. um i'm pleased it's been set up again i wasn't uh, i wasn't aware it'd been set up again since the last general election was each every group has to be re-established in each parliament i'm i'm pleased pleased to, to hear that um, because I think the key issues are one protecting of the routes particularly where there's a major road or railway involved and secondly giving local authorities uh, resources to help with the restoration of canals but also factoring in the good that comes out of it because if you think of the um, the tourist potential the wildlife potential, the biodiversity potential of um, building and reopening, uh, building sometimes small bits of canals like was done in Liverpool to improve access to the Mersey, mm -hmm. then I think there's a, a, an economic benefit to the whole community as well, and I would absolutely support that. So I think what, what you've done is um, in, in your magazine is excited a lot of people but also informed a lot of people, and certainly I'd be behind that campaign. Oh, thank you. Thank you. When we last spoke towards the end of 2019, you said that the Cotswolds canals were ripe for reopening. 
Since then, they've received a sizeable heritage lottery fund grant. And it looks likely that the Stroudwater Canal will be restored in the next couple of years or so. So that's a great example of things moving forward. I think that is really good news. And um, uh, I remember David Drew, the former MP for Stroud, had a debate on um, the Cotswold Canals on the same day as the Iraq War vote in 2003, which uh, his debate came afterwards. And um, David strongly supported it. And uh, I'm, I'm really pleased because that link uh, through to the Thames can also be a conduit for taking water as well mm. as the reopening canal. And that will do a lot of good to the local economy in Stroud and other places. I absolutely hope that um, comes to fruition. I was reading about the work that's been done and also the, um, well, very creative thinking that was done by engineers of Gloucester County Council, Gloucester County Council, when uh, the A40 road, the old A40, um, needed uh, retaining walls rebuilding in order for the road to be properly put back into use. And they found a ready source of um, uh, clay and aggregate from the cleaning out and redigging of the canal and so um, a problem mm. was solved for two two groups of people and it saved the public a great deal of money at the same time yes it's a it's a real success story absolutely and brilliant that people sort of work together and sort of realize that they can do, do things together and try and solve problems together so i wish well the canal reopenings and um particularly those areas like the Montgomery Canal, which has been isolated from the rest of Shropshire Union, Lancaster Canal, and so on. There are many other examples where either there's been road closures or infilling, which um, often quite a small amount of work can um, change things a great deal. Mm. You mentioned cycling along the Lancaster Canal. Was that on the the restored section or, or on the northern reaches? It was on the bit from Lancaster itself, um, going out to, uh, into the country towards the big aqueduct. So it was that that part. Oh, near the Loon Aqueduct, and yeah, uh, yeah. so it was up, up around Hest Bank and, and places like that. Bolt, Bolton Lands, yeah, yes, yeah. that is a very very nice stretch, especially when you can see over to to Morecambe Bay as well. Oh, it's fantastic! Yeah, yeah. I, I, was, I was doing walking and running actually because I was staying in Lancaster and I went out for a long run. It was absolutely beautiful. Yes, fabulous canal. I got so excited by it, I ran further and further, and then when I got there, I realised I've got to run all the way back. <laughs> I'm going to have to try that, actually, yes. Yeah, I mean, but remember, however far you go, you've got to do the same distance going back. <laughs> Jeremy, would you ever consider buying a boat? I would think about that, yeah. Um, a great friend of mine, um, John Reese and Lindsay German, have a boat that they keep at Seen in Wiltshire. Um, and they have invited me to go on this boat, and I'm very happy to do so. And John is a great enthusiast about canals and canal history. And whenever I see him, which I do very often, we talk about this. And, um, yeah, I would think about that, for certainly, or maybe sharing a boat or hiring a boat, that kind of thing. Yeah. Although you do have to – it's a big responsibility because you've got to – keep the boat in good order you've got to keep it secure and safe and all all that sort of thing so it's not it's not something you can just park and go back and park for the winter and go back in the spring you've actually got to maintain it and uh, I really do admire the people that I see on the lee when I go on a sort of winter bike ride 
um, up to Broxbourne or, or, or where, and you see these people there on a freezing cold day. They're out there checking the boat, painting if necessary, and all that sort of thing. It's really good, very impressive. But you do have to look after boats. Yeah. And it's really sad when occasionally you see boats that clearly have just been virtually abandoned and end up just sinking in, into the river. Mm. You wonder what on earth happened there. Very mm-hmm. sad and a terrible, terrible waste of a good boat in some cases. Indeed, yeah. Would you ever be tempted to follow in um, John Prescott's footsteps and film a canal travelogue? I mean, he was on, I can't remember what it was called, Five Go Barging or something similar in, um, a couple of years ago. Yeah. I think the problem is I'm not sure I know enough about canals to be I able think to. You do. No. <laughs> you definitely do. I think you know more than most. Yeah. Uh, I'm blessed with a permanently inquiring mind, particularly into history of places. And <clears throat> recently we were um, near Ely, where there is um, a huge lot of boating from the Ouse and <clears throat> onto the the Fenland network, and again, the Fenland network could be improved quite a lot, and you could get more boat usage. Indeed, we're looking at the um, boating that goes as far as Nordelf, just outside down a market. It could go a lot further because the massive and amazing Dutch-built uh, drainage system of the Fens could become even more used by people on boats in the area. I think it, I think the history of it is absolutely amazing. Mm. Just going back to your days on the fishing boat, what were the waterways like then and how have they changed? Well, they were going through a phase of some improvement in the 60s because British Waterways Board then decided to increase the speed on canals by one or two miles per hour, which obviously, I know it doesn't sound much to people that don't know anything about canals, but actually the wash created from that is quite significant. Mm -hmm. And so they were going through a process of putting... um, concrete or steel stabilizers on the side of the canal to prevent the uh, the, the wash uh, undermining the the towpath on on the um, on, on a lot of the canals at that time and there was also the um, decision to lay high voltage electricity distribution cables along the canal network by um, digging up the towpath putting the cable underneath and then putting a concrete covering over it, um, which actually was a very sensible use of land and actually probably helped um, the canals. With it. They got, obviously, money compensation for disruption. It also helped people to understand the importance of canals as a linking between communities because the numbers of canals at that time that were uh, – abandoned or not used and absolutely full of rubbish and filth and were a place that people wouldn't want to go to and deeply polluting, particularly canals around um, Black Country and Birmingham, which I used to visit because where I lived was quite near to there. Um, It was quite sad to see. And now it's great when you go into the centre of Birmingham, see that incredible canal junction Mm -hmm. almost near the city centre. And Birmingham indeed has, I believe, more canals than Venice um, and it's great that they've been restored and in good use at the moment. Yes, it's particularly impressive around Gastry Basin and Brindley Place. Brindley Place is wonderful, absolutely magnificent. Um, I did some. Um, I did an election meeting uh, there once uh, on the canal side. It was great. I, 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 there must be a picture somewhere of me speaking with the canal behind me. We'll have to dig it out. 
Canalo we haven't mentioned is the canals in Scotland uh, and the um, the the Great Canal from Fort William across to Inverness, which I think is unbelievably beautiful canal. It was so long being built and so expensive to build. Um, uh, it was kind of not a great commercial success, um, although it's still there and is used by some commercial traffic. But it is absolutely beautiful. And um, one occasion, Lara and I were staying in Fort William, and we hired bicycles and cycled all up the uh, Caledonian Canal as far as Loch Lochy. And then on another occasion, we were staying in Inverness and did the same by cycling um, from Inverness along the canal down to Loch Ness and then back up to the um, connection with the ocean outside. An absolutely beautiful canal and um, amazing, amazing place and area. And to go along the canal from Inverness to Fort William is one of the most beautiful things possible. Mm. I can go through Loch Ness on the way because it connects Loch Ness and Loch Lochie. We recently did a did a piece on, on the Caledonian. We described it as being one of the, the most beautiful waterways in the land. Do you have any experience of overseas canals? Um, I've seen canals in France and uh, we were in um, Montpellier last year. Um, last uh, December, January, and um, I, I went on the Rhone Canal, the one that goes parallel to the sea there, which was um, quite interesting. It's not fully used anymore uh, as a canal, but the route is there, and you can cycle along the towpath uh, on the coast just near Montpellier, which is pretty hard going because some of it's very rough and very muddy. But as a a uh, coastal canal it was quite an amazing um, construction and uh, it looked as though it was being repaired and restored actually as we, as we went along it so I was pleased about that well, the Rhone Set Canal it goes um, to, as far as Set where it rejoins the sea there sounds fabulous Jeremy thank you so much for your time today I must say I didn't realise you knew quite so much and that you are such an enthusiast um, and it's great to discover that someone in public office likes the things that we do. So, thank you. My absolute pleasure. I'm sorry we had a bit of problems getting onto the uh, system to do it, but we got there in the end. And I'm Waterways World has been Britain's best-selling canals and rivers magazine since 1972. In each monthly issue. You'll find the latest waterway news, practical advice on boat buying and boat ownership, reviews of the latest craft and equipment, a pull-out cruising guide to help you plan your next trip, first-hand accounts of waterways life, and insights into the history and heritage of our canals and rivers. For subscription offers, visit waterwaysworld.com, where you'll also find the searchable magazine archive, our interactive Ask an Expert advice section, and our boat search feature, the most comprehensive listing of canal boats for sale you'll find online. That's waterwaysworld.com. <laughs>